turn to John chapter 8. So as you're turning there, just to remind you, we are walking through this, Jesus' uh, conversation and confrontation with the religious leaders is continuing uh, to increase, and it, um, he is in these verses that we will read today and we'll continue to look at a few days ahead, sharing with us what a false disciple looks like and, and giving us a, a perspective of that. So let's read 37 through 47, and we're just going to look at a couple of sections of this today. So John 8, 37 through 47. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, this is Jesus speaking, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, well, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works, notice it's not plural, it's singular, works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born in sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord. But he sent me. So why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are, he defines now, that earlier father. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we walk through just... um, a small section of this. Um, we want to exalt you in this preaching. We want your name to be exalted above all things. Jesus, you are talking here with religious leaders who do not want to exalt you, do not want to acknowledge the things that you have done and been saying are true. And so may our lives line up with your truth and may it be the passionate driving aspect of our lives and so we give you this time be with our kids as well as they're studying and it's in your name we pray amen so we are walking in john 8 of looking at the marks of false disciples and so we began last week uh, to a certain point and then we stopped and and we will um, not go real far today as well as what we look at here is really significant so i want to if you weren't here last week or you didn't, uh, weren't able to watch online or listen online, I want to remind us of where we were last week. And so these are really critical words of Jesus defining for us what a true and false disciple looks like. And here he's really sharing with us um, what a false disciple looks like. And so in verse 37, if you'll look with me just for a moment. This was the first point that we looked at last week. So Jesus says to them in verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So the first mark of a false disciple is they fight against God and His revelation in the word. It's not something that they welcome. They battle Him and fight Him. And with the religious leaders... It has been a consistent increasing of this battle um, in regard to the things that Jesus is teaching. I also want to point out that we did last week, it's important for us to know the context of what's happening here. Jesus is not speaking with Buddhists. He is not dealing with atheists here. These are not agnostics. These are men deeply steeped in the studying of God's Word who have, as Pharisees, they have the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. So these are not people who are naturally questioning and naturally doubting and 
fighting, but these are men who have, who have deeply studied the Word. They have given their life to ministry, and yet the living incarnate Word is standing in front of them, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, and they are battling Him and not wanting to accept the things that He is teaching. So Jesus is sharing with them, and He says it there, that, yeah, I'm acknowledging that genetically you are of Abraham, but spiritually you are not. Because Abraham was marked by faith in my coming. I am the fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And so these men who had spent their lives in ministry and studying um, find no place for the words of Jesus in their lives. The second mark that we looked at last week of a false disciple, and again, religious leaders that he is dealing with, is they do not know the image of the Father. They really don't know who the Father is. Look at the first part of verse 38. So Jesus says to them, I'm speaking or I speak of what I have seen with my Father. This is really significant. So before Jesus came in His incarnation here to the earth, He was in heaven with the Father. Intimate relationship. They are one They know each other incredibly, incredibly well. Jesus knows every word the Father has ever spoken. Jesus knows every work the Father has ever done. Anything that the Father has ever said, ever done, Jesus knows that intimately. So not only did He in His incarnation come to die to rescue us, but He also came to give us a clear picture so that we would know who God is. So there's all kinds of wondering, what's he like and and all this. And so Jesus, several times in in the gospel, says, listen, when you see me, who do you see? You see the Father. I am the the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 says, "He he is the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know what God's like? You look at the life of Jesus. You know what God says? You look at the life of Jesus in the gospels. And so, so Jesus sharing with these men, saying, listen, you think you know the Father, but I'm telling you, you don't. Because I've come to make Him known to you. And He sent me to make Him known. And so as you look at me, you should see Him. You should know what He is like. And so the fact that you are rejecting me, you are rejecting my words, is a clear indication that you have no clue about who He is because He sent me. So a second mark that Jesus gives us here is that false disciples don't really truly know the image of the Father, and the proof of that is in their rejection of Jesus. To reject Jesus is a rejection of who the Father is well. And so this is what Jesus is making here. And so we finished our time last week with this third principle, is false disciples have a false father. There are two spiritual families we talked about last week, and I will remind us this morning, in the world. There are those who have been born above or born again, born of God, who have authentic salvation through faith, not through works. And then there are those who are just born on the planet, and they've not come to faith in Christ, and they are a part of another family that has a father. And I realize in today's culture, and I don't don't know everybody fully well in in the room this morning, I know many of us, But there's only two fathers according to Jesus. Not my perspective, not a Baptist perspective, not the Assembly of God perspective. There are two spiritual families that the Bible speaks of and Jesus speaks of it here. You either have a heavenly father and you have him because faith in Christ or your father is who? Satan. That's what Jesus says. So again... Let's not wrestle with this. Well, isn't there another perspective? Well, according to Jesus, there's not another perspective. There are two fathers. You're either born from above and have a heavenly father, or you are of the earth. And so false disciples follow another word. They don't follow Jesus' word, and that word is not from God. So they were hearing something else and following that, even though they were steeped in the Scripture. So let's go back, uh, or let's go now, and let's look at the fourth principle of false disciples, and it's found in verses 39 through 41. I know know we read it a while ago, and by the way, these are the only verses we're going to look at today. I had grand plans that we're going to do three more points today, and we're not. We're just doing this point. 
So, um, and I finished early in the first service, but I'm not guaranteeing I'm finishing early here, okay? But anyway, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to spend the majority of our time here because I think what Jesus says here, last week it was a lot about um, not f- allowing the word of Christ to, to, to be in our life. That's a huge mark of false disciples. So today we're going we're gonna to deal with this, that a mark of false disciples is making a big deal about other names and not making a big deal about the name of Jesus. There is one name, and Jesus is going to deal with them claiming the name of Abraham, and then they will, in their cards... I'm not a big card player, but I know if you pull the ace of spades out in some games, that's a big deal. That's the big card. And they will pull the big card out today and say, well, okay, we're not really children of Abraham. We're really children of God. And so Jesus will deal with that. So let's look 39 through 41. Read it with me one more time. And then we will uh, just park here and unfold the meaning of the text here. So they answered him. Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would, here's the mark, you would do the works Abraham did. But now, here's what you're doing, you seek to kill me. I'm a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, straight from God. This, Jesus tells them, is not what Abraham did. So in verse 41, he tells them, You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. And then they play the big card. We have one father, even God. So as we begin, let's talk about this just for a moment before we begin to unfold the full meaning of the text here. What did Abraham do in Genesis chapter 12? His name was Abram at the time. He's a pagan worshiper. He's not even seeking Yahweh. He's not building altars to worship Yahweh. And Yahweh comes and says, Hey, Abram, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a father of a nation, and from you is going to come one who will bless all the families on the earth. So here's this guy, Abram. He's just living his life. He's worshiping idols as his father did. God interjects himself, reveals himself to Abraham. And by the way, this is always the case. We don't do the work of salvation. God opens our eyes. God um, reveals himself. We see who he is. And he enables us by faith to believe. And so, so God comes and says, Abram, this is what I'm going to do. And, 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 and I want you to do this. I want you to, I want you to pack up all your stuff and I want you to leave. And so what did Abram do? He heard God's word, he packed up his stuff, and he left, and he went to the land until God said, okay, stop. So what's the mark of Abraham? What are the mark of the children of Abraham? What do they do? They hear the word of God, and they obey it. What is the mark of the children of Satan? Well, Isaiah 14 tells us that one day this archangel named Lucifer decided, you know what, I kind of like this God in control of things. I'd like to be in charge of things. And so he decided that he would try to make his throne be over God's throne. In other words, I'm going to kick God off his throne and I'm going to set myself seated on the throne. Well, foolishly, he had been created by God. He was not going to be able to throw God off of his throne But what's the mark of Satan? It's rebellion. It's attacking the authority and the position of God. So I want you to feel the gravity of the moment of Jesus dealing with these religious leaders who, again, deeply steeped in the Scripture. Your father is not my father. Your father is not Abraham. Your father is Satan. You are like him, rebelling against me, rebelling against why I have come to communicate and reveal who the Father is and to die on the cross for your salvation. So they are affirming their great identity with Abraham, and yet they, feel, they fail to see that the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 12, 3 
is standing in front of them. There he is. So that promise that God gave to Abraham that one would come and all the families from Abraham would come from this fruit of Abraham. He's standing in front of them and all they want to do is continue to reign and rule over their heart and not allow Jesus to rule and reign in their hearts. And so Abraham, by faith, believed and obeyed. The Pharisees are rebelling and fighting the reign of Christ. The last thing that Abraham would have been doing was spending any amount of time discussing how he could kill the one that was the fulfillment of the blessing that God told him in Genesis 12. And if Abraham could have appeared this day in John chapter 8, I think he would scream, quit using my name. Quit claiming connection to me because the one that you don't want to rule and reign and you're fighting his words, he's the fulfillment of the promise that I believed all those thousands of years ago when he appeared and he revealed himself and he made this promise. Now to the Jews, Abraham was incredibly important um, for they felt that because genetically they were a descendant from his line, they had what? security of salvation so because i'm a descendant of abraham i have the security of my salvation but here's the reality ancestors have never will never guarantee faith in anyone then nor in anyone's life today it has never brought that every person by the revelation of god in christ must come to faith in jesus And so they're clinging to Abraham's genetics, but it will not rescue them from sin. When we were church planters in Germany, um, we went to uh, a German school to learn German so that we could do ministry uh, in the language there. And we met someone who became a very good friend of ours, and she was from Taiwan. And so we were in the same class wrestling with this crazy language, trying to learn it and, and figure it out. Well, come to find out, After weeks, after about six weeks, we find out that our friend lived just up the street. We lived on the same street. And so we began to spend time at her house. She began to spend time with us. We went to, um, we could leave the front door of our house and we could be in Amsterdam in two hours and 15 minutes. So we would just take day trips and it was awesome. And she would go with us and we would spend time together. And we began to share the gospel with her. One night, um, I invited her to go with me to a city just outside of Dusseldorf where I was preaching that night. And so she came with me, and on the ride back, I, I asked her, I said, I said, Ming Fong, um, where, where are you in all of this? I've been sharing Jesus with you, and you heard what I had to say tonight, and that Jesus is the only way, and, and He loves you, He died for you, He has a plan for you, and so where are you with all of this? And, and she said, well, to be honest with you, Doak, if I, I, I hear what you're saying, But if I were to believe that, then I will turn my back on everything that my ancestors have believed. And I can't do that because that will bring bad karma to them. That will bring bad things for them for me to turn my back on that. What we are seeing in the text here is still happening today. People claiming genetics, people claiming something or or rejecting something because of it. I just... I want to make sure that we understand this this morning. This is God's promised people, His covenant people. He chose them uniquely out of all the people of the world. But their faith couldn't rest in Abraham. Their faith needed to rest in God. God was the Savior. God has always been the Savior. And they are claiming deep faith in Abraham as some kind of thing that's going to guarantee, because of their ancestry, the security of their salvation. And Jesus here is aiming at destroying this false understanding that they have. Now you know this in the world today. Who you know matters. Here. If you know somebody who's got, owns a business and it's in your field and you know them, that can open doors. So, so sometimes who you know here, it helps with opportunities here but they do not help with opportunities on the next life you got to know jesus you got to know who he is and you must come to faith in him so sometimes opportunities here 
bring better opportunity or, or knowing being connected to a great name here brings better opportunities but it brings no assurances into the next life every believer must claim and cling to one name and that's the name of jesus so here you have these religious leaders thinking abraham had such great faith that he stored up for us enough security that we can just go to the abraham bank and we can kind of pull stuff out we got enough from him because of his faith and because of the promise that we can just rely on that reality. And they could not. They couldn't do it. It wasn't enough to help them. You see, the achievements of past saints are not enough for today's necessity. This is the problem within Catholicism. This clinging to saints that have died before. I'm for saints. Not necessarily catholic saints but i'm i'm for godly yeah there's a new orleans saints person who did that i'm actually not for them but anyway um so i'm for i'm for listen i'm for the rich heritage of our faith and you should be too it just doesn't guarantee anything for anybody in the room if you don't know jesus there is no salvation so here They're clinging to the achievements and the promise made to Abraham and making much of Abraham's name, but it was not enough. It's a false security. You've all heard stuff like this. Well, my parents are Christian, so I'm a Christian. Well, I was born in a Christian nation. Well, I'm a Methodist. I'm an Assembly of God. I'm a Southern Baptist Some people claim to the name, well, I've been water baptized. I go on mission trips every year. I've been on a bunch of mission trips, and I'm stacking up credits for myself. I'm a member of so-and-so church. My pastor is so-and-so. Please don't ever use that because I don't have much credit for you to help you. I have zero. It's a false security to claim the names of other things for salvation and you leave out the name of Jesus it's just like these people here you'll end up fighting the true word of God and not believing it so let's let's come back to where we are here Jesus affirms yep I agree with you you're descendants of Abraham I disagree with you that you think that you're spiritual children of Abraham because you aren't because Abraham believed me you're rejecting me, so you're not spiritual children. You're just physical children. And then in a minute, we'll see, they claim this big thing of, well, we're actually children of God. And Jesus is like, no, you're not even born of Him. You don't know Him because you're rejecting me. So what's the example of Abraham? Let's talk about this for a moment. What did Abraham do? Well, in Genesis chapter 12, he welcomed the Word. He didn't, he didn't have a, well, wait a minute. What about this God that I've been worshiping he believed god revealed himself in genesis 12 i want you to go what did he do in that moment never seen god never thought about god likely we don't have we don't have all the details about that but we know he was a pagan idol worshiper and now he believes and he goes and he trusts the promise of the one who's going to come is there another example yeah there's another awesome example about abram who became abraham and how he responded to Jesus. So before we look at that, let me just let me remind us of something maybe that may have been out of our mind. John the Baptist warned everyone during his baptism ministry and his preaching ministry to not cling to Abraham as well. So you remember John? He's out there. He's got his camel hair. He's got belt and he's preaching and eating the locusts and then dipping it in honey and eating the locusts and he just he's just out there preaching and one day he says this in Matthew 3 8 bear truth in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father and then John the Baptist tells them for I tell you let me tell you don't do that you see these stones right here in the Jordan River God can make one of those stones a children of Abraham. So, so don't claim that you're connected to Abraham and yet not have faith 
in Yahweh and belief in him. See, John the Baptist even said it's not heritage, it's not flesh, it's not race, it's not blood that made a Jew connected to Abraham. Rather, it was faith in God as the Savior. Spirit gives birth to spiritual birth. So what about Abraham? Is there another example? Yeah, there's an awesome one. So they've moved on in Genesis chapter 18. Um, Abraham and Sarah are staying by this place called the Oaks of Mamre. And they're staying there. And one day, um, in Genesis 18, three angels come. But one of them's not an angel. It's something that we affirm uh, is an Old Testament revelation of the incarnation of Jesus before he came. And so there's two angels and Jesus come. Can you imagine what that might be like? And so they show up. Abraham runs and meets them and welcomes them. Hey, come, come, come in. Sit down. We want to make a meal and let's have fellowship. And so they and two angels come. Abraham and Sarah are there. And they make this meal and they welcome and receive Jesus. So, based on Genesis 18, based on John 8, are the religious leaders doing exactly what Abraham did in Genesis 18. No, they are not. They welcomed. Abraham welcomed, fed, fellowshiped, sat down, talked with Christ. And now here are the religious leaders, the, the incarnation in a body, and he'd been around for a while, or there right in front of them. And the Jews were not welcoming Jesus. They are plotting to kill him. And so Jesus is telling them, watch this, you're claiming Abraham's name. But I'm just here to tell you, you're not acting like Abraham. Abraham, in Genesis 12, believed what he was told. Genesis 18, I came and visited him. He welcomed me. He received me. You are not living the way Abraham lived. And I am the Father's messenger. He sent me here to you. And your response is not the same response that Abraham had. So what are you doing calling yourselves children of Abraham? So these genetic descendants of Abraham were outright rejecting the one that the Father had sent to rescue them from sin. And they were seeking to kill him. And so thereby proving they were not spiritual children. And so the point is, you are not Abraham's children when you do not do the things that Abraham did. By the way, let's just stop here for a moment. Was Abraham perfect? Remember Egypt? No, he wasn't perfect. So I want to I bring some real practical application to our lives today based on the text here. Because I um, am one who knows that um, there is nothing new under the sun. And history repeats itself. And religious spiritual history and Christian spiritual history repeats itself. And so let's, let's make a, a practical application here today. There is one name that matters. Are y'all with me? Every other name that we can name this morning is less than that one name. And we are not to make much of these other names at all. So what I'm about to say is not directed toward anybody in this room. It's not because I saw something that you posted or... I'm this. This is just a word for all of us. It's counsel for me who wrestles with these things at times. So they're making much of Abraham's name. Making a really big deal of it. But here's the reality. Abraham's name could not heal them. It could not forgive them. It could not save them. It could not get rid of Rome. It could not enable them to love their Samaritan neighbors that they considered half-breeds and they hated the Samaritans. If Abraham was the answer, when Jesus traveled around Israel for those three years, what would his message be? Believe in Abraham. Trust in Abraham. But that's not. He revealed the Father, called people to believe in himself. And here we are 2,000 years later, and at times, the New Testament church in 2021, 2020 is not much different than things were 2,000 years ago. 
we get caught up to our own detriment of our faith, making much of other names. And names abound, and there's nothing wrong with names. They just must be put in the proper perspective. So let me remind us scripturally why the name of Jesus matters. Why was Jesus so adamant with the religious leaders on this day with them? So follow with me. The last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended and sat at the right hand of his Father to intercede for us are these words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, the name, notice this, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul, writing to these believers in Rome, in Romans 1.5, says this, Through whom, speaking of Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name, the name of Jesus. Romans 10.13 For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the name Jesus, will be saved. Acts 4.12 Peter boldly saying, There is salvation in no one else. Nobody else can bring about salvation. For there is no other name, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 1.21, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come, the name of Jesus gets the highest honor here. And in the future, his name gets the highest honor. And I could go on and on this morning, but we don't have time. Philippians 2.9 Therefore God has highly exalted him. And what did he do? He bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And again, I could go on and on, but let's make the point and let's bring it to our lives. There are a lot of things in our culture today that I get fired up about and that I'm concerned about. But I have to remember that as I get fired up about those names that are things connected to the earth, they're just names and they pale in comparison to the might and worth of King Jesus' name. And so we all need to be reminded in these days of the pushing forth of a lot of stuff, sometimes even in the church. We do not exalt political parties. That's Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, what all they are. We don't exalt pastor names. They're just men like Abraham. Men who have deep faith in God and they're used of God, but they cannot save. We don't exalt churches' names. We don't exalt presidents' names. We don't exalt America as equal to Christ. And I love my heritage. We also need to be aware that we don't get caught up in Christian nationalism where we exalt something else as the answer. Politics are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And I hope you're with me about that. Are we concerned about some of the names that I've even mentioned right now? Absolutely as Christians. It's okay to be concerned about those. But we don't want to get so lost in the reality that His name is not being exalted. Because we are so concerned about all the other names. 
We don't exalt BLM. We don't exalt the flag. We don't exalt the stars on the flag. We don't exalt the Pledge of Allegiance. We do not exalt the National Anthem. Is it okay to sing it and give it? Sure. But it's not sacred scripture. And it's not King Jesus. We exalt His name. And you may have been like me, just deeply concerned of 2020 and 2021. The anger that is poured out upon cities and even a couple of weeks ago in Washington, D.C., where people holding Jesus flags did not act like Jesus. And as Christians, we call out everything that's sinful and say, that's not right. That's not right. In the church and even outside of the church. And if Jesus is telling these religious leaders, you cannot cling to Abraham. You cannot cling to you being a Jew or you being an Israelite or you being of this tribe. If you cannot cling to that, his covenant people, we cannot cling to the name of America thinking it's somehow going to save us. It is not. And so this issue 2,000 years ago is present today. And I firmly believe the church is a voice to speak into the culture to some of these names that we've mentioned this morning. But I just want to remind us that our greatest responsibility is the exaltation of the name of Jesus. Not the name of Abraham, not the name of a street or a church or, or this or that, whatever the case is. Our passion is the name of Jesus. Did you notice that he's going to get that name for all of eternity? He gets the name that is above every name. Also, just point this out for us. Um, however, this applies to you. The New Testament church lived under an emperor when a lot of the New Testament letters were being written by the name of Nero. He was psycho, hated Christianity. He used to take Christians. He had these lavish gardens, and he would take Christians, and he would dip them in oil and impale them and light them on fire to light up his gardens at night and to walk through the gardens. And I could go on and on about him. He was deeply immoral sexually and all this kind of stuff. He persecuted the church so strongly that it scattered And Peter's writing to these scattered believers who've lost their home and they've lost their money. And he writes to them. And two times in in 1 Peter, he tells them to honor the emperor. I want you to think about that for a moment. Honor the emperor. So if you've had problems with the last four years, I would just say to you, did you honor the emperor? Which doesn't mean that you agree with everything. It means that you pray and intercede. And if you're dreading the next four years, will you and I honor the emperor by not, it doesn't mean we have to agree, but will we intercede and pray that our leaders would return if they've ever been to what's true? So, again, I'm not, I'm, I'm speaking to me If there's any application, then take some application. The Bible makes this clear. From the psalmist in Psalm 138, what God thinks is most important. And did you know that God, what God thinks is most important is not anything here. It's not a nation, it's not anything. Now he's concerned about all of that. But listen to these words. This is sacred scripture, and this is where we must land. Psalm 138, verse 2. The psalmist writes, I bow down toward your holy temple. I'm bowing my life, heart, my knee, my body. I'm bowing toward your holy temple. And this is my response. I'm giving thanks to your name. That I have a God-centered focus, God-centered 
perspective of you. I am worshiping you. Why? Because I've been incredibly moved. The psalmist writes this, for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I'm, a, I'm amazed. I'm giving thanks to you because I know me and I'm giving thanks because your steadfast love and your faithfulness, when I'm not faithful, it's poured out toward me. When I'm not loving you, you are loving me. And then the psalmist writes this, for you, O God, have exalted, you have lifted high above everything On the earth, these two things. Your name and your word. So let me put it all together. I bow down toward your holy temple and I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And when these two things, his name and his word, drift from us or we drift from them, you eventually have what we have today. So the call for the the culture is not going to be clamoring back to exalt the name of Christ and make much of the, the glory of His Word. But whose responsibility is that in this nation? To everybody in this room this morning. It's us. That our priority is the name of Jesus and our priority is His Word. So we, we have to deal with this, and, and, and again, we're still on this point. So, so, so what do we do? We do have a heritage. We do have a heritage. We can go back a couple hundred years, and we can go, wow, that time was, uh, seemed to be a more God-centered time and thriving, and, and our government seemed to keep in mind things connected to Judeo-Christian values and, and all that kind of stuff. So we, so we have a heritage that we seem to have drifted so far from. And so what do we do, even in our own lives? So I have, a, I have a rich heritage on my mother's side. So my grandfather is a World War II veteran. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He eventually became a pastor. And in my closet at home is I have his purple heart that he was re- awarded when he was blown out of his tank, he was a tank commander, blown out of his tank by the Nazis, and he laid in a ditch for a couple of days before they found him. And I sometimes open that up, I see it up there, and I open it up, and I'm just reminded of the sacrifice that he made and many others for the freedoms that we have. And so, so I have that, and then he became a pastor, and he had a huge influence upon my life that now that I've become a pastor. So I have a rich heritage. So how do we respond to our rich heritage. Well, here's what we do. We, we give thanks for it. We give thanks. I'm incredibly grateful that I live in this country. I, I, I read about a lot of countries, and I tell you, I might want to go there to be a missionary, but I wouldn't want to be, be born there. It'd be difficult to be a citizen of some places. The Apostle Paul got this as well. And listen to these words. So we, we learn a lesson from Paul. Be thankful for our heritage. It's okay to long for some of it to return, the things that are biblical and right. So the Jews here were counting on their Jewishness and their religion to save them and put them in a right relationship. And at one time in his life, the Apostle Paul saw things like that as well. He was a Pharisee. And he took great pride in his heritage. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, listen to this. I love this text. And when you put it, when you read it through the lens of the eyes of clanging, claiming and, and clinging to heritage, listen to this. So Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, Though I myself, I've got reason to put confidence in the flesh also. If anybody thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I'm just telling you right now, my list as the Apostle Paul, I've got a list that far, far outshines your list of things that you could claim to about your life. And then he begins to unfold them. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee, which incidentally meant this, that he had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. 
And as to the righteous, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. And then something happened. He had a great resume. Look at my list. In his zeal to go persecute the church, God stepped into his life just like he did to Abraham's life and knocked him off his horse. And he said, Paul, I got a plan for you, and it's not what your plan is. I got a better plan. You're going to suffer for my name. And Paul embraced it. And when he embraced it, he embraced it. So then he says, whatever gain I had, whatever I had on my list, whatever heritage I could claim to, where I was born, what tribe I was in, what calling I had, I counted everything as loss compared to knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count those things as rubbish, trash. The really the Greek word there is, you, if you have a big dog, they go to your backyard and do things, and you have to go pick it up. It means dung, poop. He said, I, I've got this list of my heritage. And it's nothing compared to pursuing and knowing Jesus. That's my life. That's my passion. So he says, I consider um, the suffer of loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness that I did that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Later, Paul will be addressing this confusion about Abraham and heritage. And so, to those that were telling uh, Gentiles that they had to be, become like Jews and follow the law, he wrote this in Galatians 3.7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing, seeing... That God was going to justify the Gentiles, not by becoming Jews, but by faith. He says this, that he would justify the Gentiles by faith. Watch, listen to this. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you, Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of the faith, they are blessed, not, watch, listen to what Paul says here, not through Abraham, but along with Abraham, or like Abraham did, he placed his faith, not in himself, but he placed his faith in God and what God told him. Well, uh, sometimes I would have loved to have been there. He stumped them. They're not like Abraham. So they fold out the cards oh i didn't realize i had the ace of spades they pull it out and they lay it out well actually what we mean is we're children of god not really children of abraham we're children of god and jesus has been saying no you're not so now they throw god into the mix of their identity and they make an even greater claim god is our father we are born of him and this comes from Old Testament texts. They were called the bride of Christ or the children of God. Or not the bride of Christ, but the bride of God or the children of God. That's there. There are all kinds of passages in the Old Testament that speak about God as the Israelites' father. And so they were like, okay, well, you've kind of stumped us on Abraham, but we're going to claim God as our father because we've got text to kind of affirm that. Um, And in this union, by the way, Yahweh had always remained faithful Israel, not so much. There were many moments where they walked away and were referred to as prostituting themselves with idols and committing spiritual adultery. And most likely, as they say these words of, well, we have one Father, even God, they are saying this, well, we're not like those from our past who strayed away from Yahweh and kind of did their own thing, which is so hypocritical because it's exactly what they're doing right there to Jesus. They're fighting Him and not going to obey Him and not going to listen to them. 
Or they're also saying this, well, you know, we're not like the Samaritans. You know, they were Jews at one time, and, you know, we went away during the exile. They kind of remained, and they intermingled with all these people, and they've got a confusion. They think you worship on Mount Gerizim, and they've got some other rituals and things that you do. We're, We're not like them. But you see, it's only those who are lost in utter self-righteousness that make claims like this and don't see that it's true of their own life. And also, by the way, when they make this statement in the second part of verse 41, you may have wondered about that when they said, how did it turn to sexual talk? When they said, look, we're claiming God, and by the way, um, we were not born of sexual immorality. Do you know who they're speaking to? The controversy surrounding Jesus' birth. Um, hey, hey uh, dude, remember your mom was engaged and all of a sudden is pregnant and she's not married. And so around the birth of Christ, because of this miracle that's worked there, there was all of this conversation that you see in a few places in the Gospels. And they're just saying this, look, we've got a legitimate birth, you don't. You've been born of a whore or you've been born of an adulterer. So who are you to tell us what to do? When one is deeply deceived, blindly and falsely and foolishly thinking, where it becomes that way to begin to continue to attempt to put ourselves on the throne room and not allow Christ to be there. Well, let's finish with this. They'll keep pressing Abraham, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks if we get there. We're kind of having a hard time going very fast right now. But they will look at verse 56. So Jesus is going to bring Abraham into the conversation. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. And was glad. So the gospel was preached according to Paul in Galatians 3. Beforehand to Abraham. Abraham believed. He got the gospel. He believed. He couldn't see it. Never saw Jesus in his lifetime die on the cross. Didn't get to hear that message. Didn't know the the fullness of it. But he looked down through by eyes of faith. Believing that when God said from you I'm going to bless all the nations and the families of the earth. He took God at his word and he believed that that was going to to be the truth and and that kind of faith marks the true children of Abraham whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile the true children of Abraham place their faith and trust in God alone not in their works but in their works they give evidence as to whom they have given and placed their faith and trust And so Jesus is telling them, y'all claim to believe in Yahweh and even have one God. And I'm telling you, you're not even children of Abraham and you're not even children of God. He saw it by faith and we'll talk more about that maybe next week if we get there. So let me close with this, this text. Hebrews chapter 11, this phenomenal chapter of those who have gone before us. Listen to these words. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was about to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. It's not a very good spiritual plan, is it? Well, it is if God's leading you, because he knows where he's going. So Abraham doesn't know where he's going, but God knows where he's going, and and God will lead him. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Listen to this. Here's the difference. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, not whose designer and builder is man exalting man names, man organizations, man perspective. No, they look beyond the things of this earth and they look beyond saying that there's another home. I'm passing through. I'm a tent dweller. I'm just tabernacling here, heading to my ultimate home. 
for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who promised. Listen to Sarah's faith. It's the same thing. Abraham believed the word of God. Sarah believed the word of God that he was faithful to bring about what he had promised. Therefore, the writer writes, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many of the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. In every one of these, the writer writes, who died in faith, who never saw Jesus, never saw the coming, didn't live on the other side of the cross, they lived before the coming of Jesus. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them. Listen to that. Genesis 18, what did he do? He greeted Jesus and the two angels. So he heard the promise, couldn't see it, but he welcomed it. God, your word, your promise to me that you're going to do it. I, I, I don't know how it's going to work, but I, I believe. I believe you're going to work this out. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and welcomed them, greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then the writer writes these words, to give some perspective. He says, people who talk like this, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. By the way, the context is that's not here. They're not trying to establish themselves here. People who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out or they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Let's just stop there for just a second. We often talk and think in our life, if, if we could go back. Well, if we could go back to January 2020, we could get prepared for March of 2020. Well, if we could go back to that decision that I made as a college student, if I, if I could go back to... I shouldn't have left that job. If I, if I could, listen. Christianity is not backwards. It's forwards. It's moving forward. So listen to these words. If they had been thinking of the land that they came from, they could go back to it. They could return to it. But they're not thinking of where they came from, their heritage. If that's the case, they would... If it was all about earth, you could go today, go move back to wherever you came from. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Now listen to these words. So people who view that we're passing through, we're not to make a bunch of bunch of business about exalting the things of this earth but we exalt his name we exalt his nature those who live that way never live it perfectly but listen to what it says therefore as a result of because of this god is not ashamed to be called their god well i thought about that this week i thought about i want I wonder what God says of me. I know what I want him to say. What might happen? Because we'd have no idea what God's up to right now. What might happen if we took all of this serious? What God might do with the dying American church? And would we be the ones who would be willing to say today, you can start with me, God, because I want to be like Abraham. You were pleased with him. You called him a friend of God. I want to be that. So again, listen, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. And listen to what he's done. For he has prepared for them a city. 
He's prepared for them a city. There is a better country. It's marked by heaven. And God doesn't hide his eyes or his head in shame to those who love him more than anything. He's gone away. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you with me where I am. That's what he said. So we don't live in fear. We don't make much of the names of this earth. We speak to our culture because that's the calling of the church. We honor the emperor by praying, by asking God to speak. That's enough. So these are, I hope you see this. The reason the word is living and active is these words were spoken in the temple 2,000 years ago and they're pretty applicable to this Sunday in January. The word is alive. So when we leave this place today, some people are going to exalt the New Orleans Saints. Sin. It's just sin. That's all I can call that. It's okay to go, go. Well, I can't say it. Say go saints. She can say that. And it's okay to say I line my life up with this stance, this perspective, because it's biblical. Yes. And that stance probably has a name. But let's just never forget one has a name that's above every name. And it's Jesus. And that's where our faith must rest. All right, let's pray.